Well, folks, it's Jerry Adams again, and it's that time of the week again. And in this podcast, I want to deal with the issue of sectarianism. So, Banakti Devsha Gulyar, August Tasilagomsa Gowil Shivsha Gumai. This was the 100th year of the treaty debates in Dublin and there was a very narrow vote in the Dáil in favour of the treaty and that in many ways ratified the partitionist institutions which had been put in place by the British a year earlier and they had demanded of the Republican delegation in London that they support this under threat of war and war within three days. And that vote led directly to the awful civil war, to the years of violence and to a fractured society across the island and indeed in both the new states on the island. And nationalists in the north were abandoned by the southern political establishment. Recent comments by Joe Brawley and Bernadette McCulloskey, which have given expression to this, have been sharply criticised by apologists for the Dublin establishment. And the evidence of a century of lived experience by nationalists in the six counties has been brushed aside as irrelevant, or they have been ignored. Now, the sectarian apartheid state here did not emerge by happen chance in 1921. Sectarianism, the deliberately playing off of Northern Unionist against Nationalist as a means of maintaining Unionist and British superiority, was central to the communal, industrial, and political divisions that dominated life in Ireland's northeast counties in the 19th century. The Unionist business class and landed aristocracy, along with the British Tory party, were in the vanguard of endorsing this. Citizens across Ireland war and are denied our national rights. Those living in the northern state following partition saw their rights father trampled upon and denied. Well, it was the right to vote, to a home, to a job, to the use of our language and culture, or to the expression of of our political aspirations, all of this was banned. A succession of reports produced in the 1960s, 1970s and 1980s revealed the all-pervasive nature of sectarianism and the extent to which inequality and discrimination lay heavy on the nationalist community. Unionists dominated all of the professions. Catholics were two and a half times more likely to be unemployed or to be working in unskilled employment. In the years since then, and especially following the successful McBride Principles campaign on fair employment in the USA and the impact of the Good Friday Agreement, the pattern has begun to shift. In 2017, a labour force survey report concluded that employment rates among Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland are now level, with both communities evenly matched in most types of jobs. 
The report also said that 18% of Protestants were in professional jobs and 19% of Catholics. However, it appears that for some, the progress in eroding inequality and inequity in employment and the whole struggle to build democratic rights into a system that didn't want them, it appears for some this is a bad thing. Last week, the British politician Kate Hoey wrote a forward to a unionist paper which attacked the protocol. In it, she warned, and I quote, There are very justified concerns that many professional vocations have become dominated by those of a nationalist persuasion, and disposition of activists is then used to exert influence on those in power. Her view was echoed in the report by its author, Jimmy Bryson, who said that it was clear that the greening of the professional classes has provided nationalism with a weapon they could powerfully deploy against anyone who stood in the way of their agenda. That couldn't be allowed to continue. His answer to this was for unions to get into the professions and the institutions and weaponize the mechanisms and procedures of the institutions for as long as they remain in existence to benefit unionism. This can be a case where no goodwill or balance Unionism must ruthlessly and relentlessly exploit the institutions for the benefit of unionism. Now, if a politician anywhere said there are too many Jewish people or too many black people or too many Asians or Indian people within the media or active as lawyers or working as professionals and that this was a result of deliberate positioning of activists to exert influence there would be justifiable outrage. There would be accusations of racism, anti-Semitism, and demands for it to be investigated as a hate crime. Instead, the leader of the DUP chose to welcome Hoey's remarks. At the same time, Jeffrey Donaldson echoed the threat a few days earlier by the Deputy First Minister, Paul Gavin, that their party, the DUP, will collapse the political institutions if the British government doesn't scrap the protocol agreement they made with the European Union. And Geoffrey also added the warning that he would pull down the institutions if Westminster legislates for the Irish government, for the Irish language, as agreed in the New Deal, New Approach Agreement two years ago. This is the 24th century version of playing the orange card by trying to maximise the DUP vote in an assembly election which threatens its political dominance. It's about heightening the fears of the unionist electorate around some fictional conspiracy by nationalists. It's about some unions believing they have the right to work in careers and professions they freely choose and that they are able rightly to express their political opinions openly and democratically, but that nationalists cannot have these same rights. We're to be seen as lesser human beings, lesser citizens. We should be seen maybe, but not heard. We can have opinions, but must keep them to ourselves. Sectarianism and institutional, political and religious discrimination was not acceptable in the 19th century. It was not acceptable when partition was imposed on the Irish people in 1921. And it cannot be acceptable today 
in the Ireland of the 21st century. So how do we end sectarianism? We do so by putting a clear legal definition of sectarianism as a hate crime with an anti-sectarian legislation and by making sure that there are legally enforceable sanctions. Sectarianism and all its manifestations must be challenged and we need to embed an anti-sectarian ethos, culture and commitment into the heart of politics and public life. Notwithstanding the efforts by some to hold back progress, the reality is there will be a united Ireland and it cannot be the old Ireland. There will be change and the new Ireland will mean that there will be an acceptance of equality, respect and parity of esteem and a recognition of the birthright of all people to identify themselves and be respected as Irish or British or both, as they may so choose. Sectarianism is the second cousin of racism. It's a legacy of our colonial past. We need to confine it to the dustbin of history. And then, I thought I would just give you a sense of the conversation between me and one of my friends about whether dogs can think. And I happen to believe that dogs can't think, but when I put this to your man, he snapped back at me. Is that what you asked me? Can, can dogs think? He said... What kind of stupid question is that to ask anyone? Are you winding me up again? No, I I replied evenly. It's a serious question. I have my own view, which I'm going to write about, but I thought I would get a second opinion. Let me guess, he said sneeringly. You're going to write that dogs can't think. You're going to make an idiot of yourself. Again, I said nothing. So, he continued after a short pause, do you think dogs can think? How come, I smiled at him, how come you always answer a question with a question? What do you mean, he retorted. There you go again, I told him. I rest my case. We sat uneasily for a minute in silence and eventually I broke Let's start again, I said. Do you think dogs can think? No, he snarled. I don't think bloody dogs can bloody well think. Dogs is dumb animals. Dogs don't think. That's a human ability. That's not what I asked you, I said to him. He glared at me. Okay, Einstein, what did you ask me? I asked if dogs can think. I didn't ask if dogs do think. As you rightly say, human beings can think. But do they? Do I? I admit that I don't think as often as I should. Neither do you. In fact, you usually don't think at all. You just say the first thing that comes into your mouth. But you can't think. So there's a difference between being able to think and actually thinking. If dogs can't think, I'm fairly sure they will be like humans. Not all of them will do it all of the time. But let me tell you, dogs can think. 
You're trying to tell me that dogs can think, your man repeated. Well, in my opinion, they can, I said. And like some of us, some of them do. I've had a dog since I was five. Not the same one, your man interjected with a provocative laugh. I ignored him. In my opinion, dogs can think. Now, it might be very basic thinking in comparison to humans, but it's thinking nonetheless. Like sheepdogs, for example. Look what they can do. I, I know a man who could send his sheepdog up the hill on his own to bring back the sheep on his own, so obviously he was able to figure that out. And there are numerous other examples, like our Finn. Our Finn figured out how to open our gate. That's not proof they can think. Your man was not convinced. That's learned behaviour. Maybe I agreed, but if you can't think, you couldn't learn anything. To learn, you have to have some intelligence. Some dogs are very intelligent. You're nuts, he said. And I'll conclude this next week. And to see us out this week, I thought appropriately, Paddy Page's version of how much is that doggy in the window will set us up for a nice Sunday and a nice new week. Gunyuri and Ta Libsha Gulyar. How much is that doggy in the window? <laughs> the one with the waggly tail. How much is that doggy in the window? <laughs> I do hope that dog is for sale. I must take a trip to California and leave my poor sweetheart alone. If he has a dog, he won't be lonesome And the doggie will have a good home How much is that doggie in the window? <laughs> the one with the waggly tail How much is that doggie in the window? <laughs> I do hope that dog is for sale I read in the papers there are robbers with flashlights that shine in the dark if he has a doggy to protect him he'll scare them away with one bar i don't want a bunny or a kitty i don't want a parrot that talks i don't want a bowl of little fishies you can't take a goldfish for a walk how much is that doggy in the window <laughs> the one with the waggly tail how much is that doggy in the window <laughs> i do hope that doggies i do hope that doggies, I do. Hope that doggies for sale.